Welcome, beautiful people to Camp Koji. My name is Joel, and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest gaming news from the week that was the only podcast we'll ever need. On today's show, we're going to talk about some new Activision Blizzard allegations, a couple of PlayStation news stories, and we're going to finish it off by talking about Rockstar's new GTA Plus. But first, let's talk about Gran Turismo 7 once again, kind of a uh, update to last week's episode. Uh, almost immediately following last week's episode, I think it was like a day after uh, the recording of last week's episode, a fan found a new way to quickly generate credits in Gran Turismo 7. A player named Septomer, Septomer over on the PSN Profiles forum developed a script that runs on PC via remote play to basically grind races for you. You kind of just leave it running. You have to do anything. The script runs races on particular settings to require minimal input, resulting in AFK farming for up to roughly 650,000 credits per hour. That's about 15 million credits per day or $150 worth of GT7 microtransactions. I think this is, I, I, I kind of have spoken about this, I touched on it a bit last week, where I said that things like this should be indicators to developers that something is, f- you know, fundamentally wrong with your game, where <laughs> you have players going through, I wouldn't say all this trouble, I'm sure it wasn't like super tough to uh, put together that script, but you know, to have players of your game go through this moment of wanting to have their computers running, you know, 24 hours straight in order to make credits for the expressed purpose of just um, acquiring particular cars in your game, that's a problem. You know, it's one thing to have some sort of, script uh farming credit in a way to you know real world profit off of it or something like that but for this script to be written and even before this script just for players to commit to doing the same exact race over and over again it kind of shows that there's something that's sort of a little bit fundamentally broken with your game in terms of maybe the steps that are needed to be taken in order to acquire certain cars. And like I said, I I, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I think I spoke about it at length last week in terms of, you know, these companies have to get a lot better at being able to strike a, a really good balance between those two things between creating content that should take players a bit of time and effort to get to, which I think every single video game out there should have, and then not making it, you know, so difficult while simultaneously shoving uh, shortcuts in your face in terms of like, hey, if you don't want to do this, just pay a couple hundred dollars for this car. And you kind of have to find that that middle ground between those uh, those two things or players are going to continue to... Uh, do things like this. This exploit has apparently not been sort of nerfed in any way. Uh, I doubt that there's anything PlayStation could do 
outside of disabling remote play to completely stop this, which I don't is obviously not the right answer. Uh, you know, the right way to go about this would probably be, you know, once you complete a race, every subsequent uh, time that you try to do that same exact course within a certain period of time, 24, 48 hours, the payout just starts drastically dropping every time you repeat that course. Uh, but that's a solution that they have not implemented. I wouldn't be surprised if something like that is going to be you know, placed into the game very, very soon, though. And then a few days after uh, this story broke, Director Kazunori Yamauchi acknowledged the microtransaction issue and apologized, issuing 1 million credits to all players alongside promising changes to the sort of microtransaction credit economy, including the ability to sell cars. They did not give a timeline in terms of when something like this is going to happen. You know, I've spoken about this a few times on the show about, you know, there there are a lot of things that if we look at gaming throughout history and 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 we talk about uh gaming within generations and a lot of these changes that developers have had to make to uh basically cater to specific markets like i like to always bring up the fact that there was a specific reason why arcade games were you know so tough they were built with a single purpose in mind it wasn't hey we want a really great challenge when someone comes to play our arcade game they were built that way uh specifically so people were spending more money you know for you to continue putting quarters into the machine if i created a game where with one quarter the majority of players were to be able to reach the end of that game then you know you can see how a machine like that would not be profitable, not just for the developer or the manufacturer, but also for, uh, you know, the establishment in which that arcade sits. And I think ever since that moment, you can see a lot of these points in time where a lot of video games from a design perspective have been sculpted around um, the money, <laughs> because look at the end of the day, uh, these video games are a, a piece of entertainment and in order for entertainment to sustain itself, there must be some way for them to, uh, not only recoup the cost of production, but make a profit. And we're at this point in gaming right now where not not even just in video games but i feel like in entertainment in general where there are enough players that are ready willing and able to open their wallets to additional transactions that we continue to see video games have these types of uh economies and types of um, I want to call them tricks, but uh, you know, I will monetary tricks in order to get people to spend more than just that 
retail price. And I think, and I, I've kind of said this before, where the one thing that I'm growing very, very tired of is developers that know what they're doing, right? It, it's not like, you know, what happened with Gran Turismo was a mistake, you know, where this game was put out there and it would, and, and the economy was like a glitch, you know, like, oh, wait, that car shouldn't cost 20 million credits. Oh, you know what? It's a glitch. You are supposed to be able to sell cars. You know, we're talking about dozens uh, of leaders within these companies that are consciously making these decisions where I'm, sh I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain I don't have to be in that room to feel very comfortable with knowing that there are directors and developers within Polyphony Digital that look towards the past of Gran Turismo, look to what PlayStation has done as a publisher for single-player gaming, and said to themselves that they wanted to create a fairer economy and be able to create a game where uh, you have a lot more realistic access to the cars that they spent years <laughs> of time perfecting uh, within this simulation racer. And you need to understand there are dozens of people within Polyphony Digital and Sony that said no. And, you know, at the end of the day, it all really comes down to uh, a simple equation. How can I get someone, how can I convince someone to spend more than just $70 on this game? Even if it's like an impulse purchase, even if it's creating systems that put players into a position where they have their credit card attached to their, to their PlayStation Network account and out of desperation, out of Jesus, I really want to uh, drive that Lamborghini, they would uh, open their credit card to purchase a bunch of credits in order to sort of almost impulse buy that, um, that car. The one thing that really annoys me the most about what these companies do is that they don't own up to it. And we've seen this happen uh, with many games that have been released lately, I would say within the last three years, is that you have these companies that consciously make these decisions and will continue sort of moving that fence and test how much they can get away with before fans of the game start pushing back. And it's almost like hedging your bets, risk versus reward. And that's kind of exactly what's happening right now with Gran Turismo, is you put it out there in this state that's uh, obviously very, very skewed towards uh, the house, towards the casino when it comes to uh, money versus value. And then the moment that things start going bad and you start getting this bad press and, uh, you know, you notice your competitor Forza start 
uh, trending on in, in, in Twitter topics. Now, all of a sudden, here comes the apology. And here comes, all of a sudden, this laundry list of changes that they could implement when it's not too far-fetched to believe that that was the, virgin, the version of Gran Turismo at some point before the people at the very high up said, no, we need to try to get this live service money and looking at FIFA Ultimate Team, a lot of these other successes across our industry um, and not looking for a balanced reaction to it. I've always said that the biggest mistake that a lot of these companies make is that they ask before they give. And that's the mistake that Gran Turismo 7 has made compared to other really strong economies like Fortnite, where they don't uh, ask before they give. They give, give, give. And then especially since it's free to play, you feel more than happy uh, to open your wallet to a game that you've enjoyed for years. Um, and for this game to not even be two months old and go through all of this discourse is, is, is pretty... It's, it's pretty gross. You know, it, it's not even gross negligence because it's not even negligent. Like they're very aware of what they've uh, they've done to this this game. But what's what's weird is that, you know, all of this works. You know, I went to the Gran Turismo subreddit and they're heaping praise at, at places like, oh, finally, thank you guys, um, you know, for uh, for listening. And they haven't even implemented any of these. Uh, changes you know right now they're they're just kind of hedging their bets it's one of those things where you know they're not going to be overtly generous about this they're not just going to make a, a complete uh, 360 compared to what they've already put into um, this game that they're, they're, they're going to keep and continue moving that fence and the moment that they see that fan reaction of like oh this is great instead of you know, continued anger that this conversation is even happening for a full, fully priced title uh, kind of shows you that Polyphony Digital is going to continue, continue to sort of push the button and see how much they can get away with. So I, I, I wouldn't go around throwing confetti, you know, just yet. It's definitely still a very much a wait and see uh, sort of proposal, especially, you know, something as easy as the ability to sell cars, you know, who knows when something like that is going to be uh, implemented. If it's implemented very quickly, then that's a pretty good indicator that was always a part of the game, and it was probably something that was removed and, and kind of put back in. Our next story deals with Activision Blizzard. There were some new allegations, a new lawsuit against Activision Blizzard by a current employee. This time, focus on Blizzard's IT department was brought to light last week. According to the lawsuit, the current employee was repeatedly subjected to unwanted advances, touching, and inappropriate remarks. She says she was retaliated against after reporting into HR and subsequently passed over promotions in an attempt to force her out of the company. It was filed in the Los Angeles Superior Court March 23rd. The current employee is referred to as Miss, Mrs. or Miss, sorry, Miss Doe, who first came forward with these allegations in a press conference last December. Lawsuit says she was passed over for a promotion weeks later and given no reason why. Also says that in January, the company lied in an email to other employees saying she had been fired. Quote, Activision Blizzard's relentless efforts to push her out continued on February 1st, 2022, when they hired two new temporary employees to perform the exact duties Ms. Doe performed. Um, 
so yeah, I mean this it's just like it's it's an even bigger mess uh, uh that is now going to uh, seems very likely very soon become Microsoft's new problem. The lawsuit also goes into detail about the apparent sexual misconduct that took place in Blizzard's IT department, naming among its defendants three former employees, former Chief Technology Officer Ben Kilgore, former Chief Information Officer Derek Ingalls, and former Director of IT Mark Skorupa. The first two were former Microsoft employees prior to Blizzard, and Skorupa is currently a Microsoft employee, uh, which is, I mean pretty <laughs> kind of just overall uh insane to even read that uh the three main people that were talked about two were former Microsoft employees and one of them is currently a Microsoft employee which means that if that buyout happens uh it's almost like this person is once again involved with Activision it's just kind of a mess top to bottom in a lawsuit, the employee says the sexual harassment began on her first day at Blizzard in 2017. She was taken out to lunch and repeatedly encouraged to take shots of tequila. At one point, Skarupa, her boss, quote, forced his hand on Ms. Doe's lap. Other instances allegedly included unwanted hugs by Skarupa and Kilgore, comments about her breasts, and other inappropriate remarks. The lawsuit accuses Ingalls of coercing her to stay late with other male employees play a jackbox party game drop them revolved around sexual jokes it also alleges that an executive administrative assistant once propositioned her for sex and like a senior it manager tried to kiss her both are still currently employed at blizzard in addition to damages for lost wages humiliation mental distress and other harms the latest activision blizzard lawsuit also seeks court orders to compel activision to institute a rotating hr department to avoid conflicts of interest and to fire CEO Bobby Kotick. You know, at this point, it's becoming increasingly clear that the moment Microsoft gains uh, control of Activision Blizzard as a company, uh, it wouldn't really feel too far-fetched to just sort of completely clean house and start over top to bottom. Like, just every single leadership role um, within that company, especially their HR department, um, should probably just be immediately uh, let go. I mean, we're, we're kind of past that thought process at this point um, because we're talking about like, I mean, dozens upon dozens of, of allegations from multiple employees and it seems from multiple um, parts of this company, a lot of it seems to be very hyper-focused within Blizzard more so than Activision. But I, I just, I don't see any other, you know, uh, top-level solution to this, to this issue because on one hand, you kind of can't even trust the human resources department within that company. Uh, and it's, it's, it, it just seems like one of the only, you know, fundamental ways forward or, or ways to move forward with this, uh, post acquisition of this enormous company 
I can't think of any other better, more positive way to move forward than just kind of starting over, you know, starting from scratch at Microsoft, um, placing people into those positions that, uh, uh, that can be trusted and, and hopefully potentially do not have, um, this type of history in their resume. Uh, especially, I mean, like the fact that one of these people, you know, we, we're talking about the two people that were involved in this are still currently employed at Blizzard, um, with one employee actually being a Microsoft employee. It's just kind of this complete mess top to bottom. And, um, I wonder if this was worth the money. <laughs> it's just, it seems like such a, uh, a huge undertaking from, uh, you know, Microsoft where they're now in this position with game pass and everything going on of like, uh, you know, acquiring these companies and acquiring this particular company, Activision Blizzard for the intellectual property. But it's like, how do you move forward without dealing with all of these issues first? And I can't imagine that uh, those video games and their releases won't suffer sort of on the back end as you try to, you know, deal with all these front end issues and uh, having to also uh, involve yourself with all of these lawsuits after uh, this sale potentially closes, um, which is still under review. There still is a possibility that this purchase will not happen. But um, yeah, outside of like what I said, just cleaning house, I, I really don't know any other way uh, for Microsoft to approach this type of situation and, and, and really move forward. Because if you're coming through as a new employer of thousands of, of these um, employees, I mean, what better way to to retain talent, keep talent, and to have them trust you than to be very, very, you know, strong-armed in terms of, yeah, it just looks like we're going to have to burn this whole house down and, and kind of rebuild it um, from scratch. At, at this point, it seems like that's kind of a necessity right now for them to move forward post-acquisition of Activision Blizzard. Our next story deals with uh, PlayStation. So there were a couple of things that happened at PlayStation last week. So I wanted to talk about a couple of different stories. So the first one was that Sony announced last week that it entered an agreement to acquire Montreal-based Haven Studios, which was founded and led by veteran game designer Jade Raymond. Now, on the surface, this seems like a very surprising move, especially uh, because of the one thing that we know about PlayStation, especially when compared to Microsoft, is that PlayStation has always been very careful, very calculated with their acquisitions. You know, they never just outright acquire a company. It's very rare. Like, you know, we saw their acquisition of, don't remember the name of the company, but it was that, that company that they acquired that seemed that the acquisition was due to them requiring assistance when it came to porting PlayStation games over to PC. That, that, that kind of felt like one of the few moments 
where they were acquiring a company out of almost like pure necessity. Like I'm, 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 I'm I am acquiring this company to fill this particular hole. Um, even when they acquired that company, same thing. I can't remember the name of the company off the top of my head. Uh, but that company that specialized in VR games, like is now working on that Horizon VR game, it felt like, yes, they've worked with this company in the past, but it also felt like, well, this acquisition is because I need, you know, uh, VR expertise on my side because of PlayStation VR 2 and the fact that they're sort of doubling down on AAA VR gaming. And as much as on the surface, this feels like, well, this is kind of a surprise for, for many reasons. You know, number one, we're talking about a company that has never shipped a single game. Uh, we're talking about a company that is uh, only a few years old. They entered into an agreement with this company, I believe it was a year ago, in order to create a title that was exclusive uh, to PlayStation, one that PlayStation was bankrolling, one that PlayStation would eventually be publishing. In a blog post, Jade Raymond said, quote, our first new IP for PlayStation is on track to deliver a AAA multiplayer experience with a vision to build a systemic and evolving world focused on freedom, thrill, and playfulness that will keep players entertained and engaged for years. Now, Camp Koji, a few episodes ago, we spoke about, uh, we, I, I believe it was the episode when PlayStation acquired Bungie and they were talking about, hey, we're going to have like 10 live action games by March 2026, I believe it was. I had brought up that this game was more than likely one of those 10 that they were talking about. And one of the reasons why I said that was that because in an interview, interview last October, Haven Studios founder Jade Raymond said, quote, creating a new IP that is a world that can last for generations and becomes meaningful for people on a deeper level. How do we create an IP that has that depth, but it is designed to be owned by the fans from the start? Now, what we're thinking about is creating an IP where it's not just professional teams. Shoot, wait, I lost it. Uh, it's not just professional teams, but it is designed to be owned by the fans and can evolve through that. And this was something that I had brought up in that episode where I said, this sounds like the sort of almost absolute uh, definition <laughs> of, um, of a live service title. Like what she is proposing or from what we can deduce from uh, the way she is talking about this game is number one, it's definitely a live service title. But to me, it sounds very much like a free-to-play title that has an, uh, an economy and mechanics built into the game wherein the, a big chunk of that world is going to be built and owned by players. And you, you, know, you can't think about something like that in an explanation without thinking about the word metaverse. And therein lies the reason why Sony bought this company. It's, uh, uh, part of me thinks like it's weird 
definitely that they that they bought this company instead of I mean the fact that they have the publishing rights sort of shows that they probably own this intellectual property. This sort of reminds me a little bit of what I said when they bought Bungie, which is whatever PlayStation has seen from this game that Haven Studios is working on has led them to believe that this will be a huge opportunity from them for them not just uh, revenue-wise from the video game, but also probably from a multimedia angle. This sounds like it's very, very close um, to a PlayStation version of Minecraft, which is obviously, we know, is something that is owned by Microsoft. So when you think about it from that angle, it all of a sudden sort of instantly sort of makes sense but on the other hand it's it's almost i want to say it's taken a play from microsoft playbook because i i really wouldn't uh go that far but it shows this it's it's almost like this proof of consolidation or ip consolidation within uh the games industry where it's not just about hey let me pay you some money to have this exclusive for a year or just this particular title it's almost like I need to ensure that I'm not just locking in the intellectual property, uh, but same thing that they were Bungie. It's just it's equally as important that I lock in the talent behind that intellectual property, because the worst thing that can happen is with the amount of competition that's happening in the industry right now. This game is launched, is shipped, and now the key members within that team that crafted this vision that I as a company have foreseen to become a juggernaut for the future of my brand all of a sudden get poached or they leave to form their own companies or retire or whatever, what have you. Um, it's almost like putting faith in the team or putting equal faith between the team and the intellectual uh, property. And it seems like that's exactly what is happening with uh, this Haven Studios game. So in that sense, when you look at it from that angle, it really doesn't sound uh, like such a weird thing for PlayStation to do. And, and I've brought this up in the past, which is that PlayStation uh, and stupid money don't go together. You know, it, it, if there's one thing that we can say that, PlayStation has shown throughout the years is that they're really good at spending money. And uh, if I'm a betting man, we can safely assume that this and the Bungie acquisition were smart money dependent on these intellectual properties that Sony believes are going to be multimedia juggernauts. Um, because when you think about the landscape of entertainment, uh, Right now, you realize that it's really about these media juggernauts at this point in time. Uh, but obviously, creating an IP from scratch is a lot tougher than what Microsoft has been doing, which is kind of just buying established brands. So at the end of the day, this is, is still going to be a risk. In a GamesIndustry.biz interview, Herman Holtz did reiterate that PlayStation has no plans to abandon single-player games. Quote, Obviously, we will always carry on making these single-player narrative-based games. 
we carry on doing what we've always done. But you spotted correctly that we have invested in live service games. We have quite a few now in development or conceptualization. So yes, we're setting up capabilities internally. And I don't think that there's any reason at this moment in time to doubt that PlayStation will continue walking that line when it um, comes to their single player content. I, I don't foresee even if what they what they don't what they're doing with Bungie, what they're doing with uh, Haven, you know, even the whole Grand Turismo Seven debacle that we've been going through, I don't think I don't think there's a measure of success from those intellectual properties that would ever affect um, Sony's single player or dedicated single player properties. Like I don't foresee, you know, Insomniac's Wolverine allowing you to buy, you know, gold plated Wolverine claws, for example. Like I don't see any of these practices ever leaking over to their single player games because Sony has shown for quite some time uh, for, for quite some time, a few things. Number one, they've shown zero interest in something like that. And number two, their revenue has been able to uh, sustain the single-player model uh, across multiple fronts, not just established franchises like you know, God of War or The Last of Us, but we saw it with uh, new intellectual properties like the Spider-Man game, things like Ghost of Tsushima, Horizon, um, Sony's demographic, Sony's fan base have shown that they're ready, willing, and able to open up their wallets. And, you know, then you look at other examples like something like Elden Ring that, that go to show that, that this type of model is absolutely sustainable. Um, and going the route of something like a Ghost of Tsushima, for example, because I, I felt like that Sucker Punch and, and PlayStation did that really well, which was, uh, you know, here's the game. Here you go. Uh, you know, not mention any future plans at all during the development post release. And then just out of nowhere, drop that Legends uh, co-op. And then boom, you have that uh, that expansion that they dropped that. Yes, it was rumored, but I don't think it was something that PlayStation really spoke a lot about. At that point, enough time had passed where it's almost like a surprise and a delight. You know, slap a fair price on it. You know, it, it it's a proven working model. So even with all the shit that Gran Turismo 7 is going through right now, um, I personally never doubted that those type of practices would ever leak over Um to these other games. I, I don't expect, you know, transactions in, you know, God of War Ragnarok. I'm expecting the same, you know, beefy single player experience that I got from the original God of War. I think the only difference now with a lot of PlayStation releases that we've been seeing is they've been a lot more receptive to, you know, smaller expansion packs, uh, being released kind of post-release of, of, of that original product. And I, and I think that's, that's really what they're going to continue doing. Um, there's no reason to doubt that PlayStation is very capable of keeping these 
two business models very, very separate from one another. And then finally, according to Bloomberg, Sony is expected to formally announce Project Spartacus this week. Um, it's interesting because during, uh, I think it was right before last week's State of Play, I had talked about the fact that um, everything that's happening with Spartacus would probably not be a part of State of Play. I felt like it would just probably be a little bit smaller um, sort of press release style, maybe a video um, to accompany it. And it looks like that's what PlayStation is is going forward with. But, you know, there are a lot of rumors flying around right now that this apparently will not, you know, Spartacus will not be the only uh, announcement from PlayStation this week. Apparently there are some other really big uh, blockbuster announcements that, uh, you know, they have to share. I don't think it's anything with PSVR personally. Um, it doesn't seem like we're at that point where we're going to get a price and date just yet. Um, I mean, who knows? Maybe that, that old rumor um, pops back up, that old rumor where you can uh, pop any PlayStation game into a PlayStation 5 and it will be red and you'll be able to play a digital version of it. That would obviously be a big uh, bombshell that, that was rumored quite some time ago. But uh, let's focus on Spartacus. Just as a refresher, here were the leaked details by Jeff Grubb just a few weeks ago. PS Plus Essential will be $10 a month and be exactly what PS Plus is now. PS Plus Extra will be $13 a month. will include everything in Essential and a playable game catalog. And Jeff pointed out that it could be the PS Now catalog. PS Plus Premium will be $16 a month, including everything in Extra Plus game streaming, classic games, and game trials. So top of the line, uh, when we think about Spartacus, the one thing that we can, you know, put the chips down, you can bank on it being true, is PlayStation Now becoming no more and PlayStation Now and PlayStation Plus sort of fusing together, which is something I've spoken about uh, multiple times over the years about something that PlayStation absolutely had to do. And it seems like very, it seems very likely that it is something that is going to happen you know ever since this resurfaced uh, on twitter just over the last few days it's kind of been a lot of debate on how this will be received uh and it's it's very simple how it will be received you're gonna have your xbox stands that will continue to parade about how game pass is better because you get your first party games day and date and then you're gonna have your playstation stands that are obviously going to defend whatever decision uh, PlayStation goes ahead and makes. And I've said this before, which is that if I'm in that roundtable discussion, if I'm in that boardroom with the rest of the PlayStation executives, there's a 0% chance, even if you know the math works out, there's a 0% chance that I will ever put my first party games day and date uh, on, this, uh, on this surface. It's there's a fundamental difference between PlayStation first party and Xbox first party. I mean, these two divisions couldn't be further apart. You know, like you, you, you literally can't compare it because at this moment right now, this year was the first time that Xbox had 
multiple releases that got uh, that combined a commercial and critical success. We're talking about Psychonauts 2, Forza uh, 5, Halo Infinite, and then a lot of people brought up Deathloop. I do not, I absolutely do not count Deathloop. Every single time Deathloop won an award, I, I, I stood by the fact that no, Arcane and Bethesda won, at the, won that award. Uh, they earned those nines and tens. Microsoft literally had absolutely nothing to do with the development of that game. Psychonauts 2, I felt like there could be sort of an argument made uh, because that game was published by Microsoft Game Studios and it was uh, under that publishing arm for well over one year. So an argument could be made uh, for that one. But you're talking about a company that's almost like just still in a version of playing catch up to uh, PlayStation and, and even Nintendo. You can even roll Nintendo into that when it comes to first party software. They're just not the same. They're not built the same. And just last week, we got, you know, a perfect example of why they're not built the same. You know, hearing about what, what, what happened with Perfect Dark, you know, uh, the fact that Everwild seemed to have been quietly uh, re, you know, rebooted, whether it was a soft or hard reboot. Uh, obviously, Everwild was having uh, some sort of trouble. We saw what happened with Halo Infinite. You know, Halo Infinite obviously still had a very, very strong single player. The multiplayer had a rocky start, but, um, you know, there are still these key features that are still missing. You know, co-op was delayed once again, forge mode. No one knows exactly when that's going to be coming out. So when you think about Microsoft first party, you realize that there are still these fundamental issues when it comes to their, uh, development process. And, you know, even something like Starfield, which is expected to come out this November, I, I don't really count that, not even just I, no one should count that as a Microsoft first-party game. Like, yes, they purchased Bethesda uh, in the middle of the active development of Starfield, but um, I don't really acknowledge Microsoft as like the primary force uh, behind that game's success the way that I would for something like Forza, for example, which is something that they should be praised. Um, uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator, you know, a, a similar thing. You're talking about from a developer and publisher, everything in-house for the entirety of that uh, game's active development from top to bottom. They're just not the same it's just it's just uh you know th there's there's not really a reason for PlayStation to have these games day and date for Microsoft they're we're trying to create this seismic shift in their revenue model from a la carte piece by piece $60 at retail to really trying to get people into the subscription model and Part of that aggression involved their first party games, which we just kind of everyone just has to be honest with the reality of this situation, um, just pale in comparison to PlayStation's first party slate. We're talking about a, uh, a publisher and platform that has been able to deliver multiple games 
for the last few years that have consistently been critical commercial successes along with consistently being part of game of the year conversations. They're just not the same. So if I'm in that boardroom, I'm also supporting that decision that these games should not be part of, of um, day and date releases for whatever this new PlayStation service may be. But I would also support um, certain games absolutely hitting um, day and date, whether it's this upcoming Haven project, something like live service, you would want to be able to get as many players in there as possible from the jump because a live service game is really built to generate revenue from the back end and not from the front end. Same thing with whatever Bungie's next game is. I have brought up you know, things like Twisted Metal, whatever that Last of Us multiplayer project is. Those would make sense, but putting God of War Ragnarok, Spider-Man 2, Wolverine, their day and date, it, it, it really, it doesn't, the reason why it doesn't make sense is because those games are going to absolutely explode day one release. You, you just cannot say the same about um, Microsoft's games. You just, you just can't. Maybe a few years down the line, we'll be able to say that. But as of now, you can't make that same statement with what Microsoft has been putting out. So if you're a PlayStation, you're just really leaving money on the table. When I could put this out, it's almost like what film studios are doing, right? It's like when I put God of War at retail, it's the same thing as me putting a film in movie theaters. And then at some point down the line, it hits digital. And at, you know, at this point down the line, maybe it's a year, year and a half after release, then it will hit this PlayStation uh, service. But I would only do that once my retail sales begin to slow down, which is once again, it's it's just not a chip that Microsoft is able to equally play the same way that PlayStation does. I don't look at that as a way to look at whatever this new PlayStation service is and completely dismiss it because I feel like the one thing that people are missing is that PlayStation is very good when it comes to their third-party partnerships. We've seen what they've been able to do the last few years when it comes to exclusives, a lot of really good, um, they've, they've done an amazing job of finding finding sort of these hidden gems and seeing the potential of these games, um, you know, even something like Returnal as just a throwaway example, Fall Guys or whatever. Seeing these, this potential of these games sort of before kind of anyone else, same thing with Sifu, right? Those are the games that now are probably more than likely going to start hitting uh, this service for PlayStation fans because we we saw what they've done within the last 12 months. It kind of slowed down a bit and it's obvious why it slowed down. But when we think about from PlayStation 5's launch all the way through the first 12 months that PlayStation 5 was out in the wild, pretty much every month PlayStation Plus fans got access to a brand new day and date release, which, you know, that new Virtual Fighter uh, five Buck Snacks, Destruction All Stars, that Outworld game, and I'm sure I'm missing a bunch of other ones that released day and date in retail, and it was also on PlayStation Plus. We recently saw that they did it with PlayStation Now. They added Shadow Warriors three uh, day and date, and I feel like that's really where PlayStation is going to be aggressive versus uh, Xbox, where. Xbox, there have been a lot of day and date releases, but a lot of them have been indie titles. 
And I could see PlayStation maybe trying to be a little bit more aggressive on that front uh, with having third-party releases. And for PlayStation fans to be able to have access to classic legacy titles, uh, which is something that you know Xbox is not as strong as PlayStation when it comes um, to legacy, on top of a playable game catalog. So remember like that, what was the name of that thing? That PlayStation Plus collection uh, it's like 20 games, you know, so you're throwing all of that into this new service right now. This is going to be something that from the offset, I do believe that PlayStation is going to have a very, very strong lineup of enticing titles to, 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 to put into this service, especially because they're combining now in PlayStation Plus. I think up to this point, it's almost like if you're a PlayStation Plus member, I'm sure there are a good number of those members that have absolutely no idea what's happening with PlayStation Now. And PlayStation Now does have a lot of, or did have a lot of current titles on there. So I could absolutely see something like The Last of Us Part Two being sort of thrust forward when this announcement is made because that was on PlayStation Now, but then at some point they did remove it. Same thing with the original God of War. That's on that PlayStation Plus collection, but now, you know, same thing with Bloodborne and all these other games that were put in there. Now you can kind of put it at the forefront of this new service. And 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 it's almost like reintroducing something that you already had. But since that, that intellectual property is so powerful and it's so iconic that it's going to make it seem very new, very exciting. And I think they're going to couple that with a lot of, you know, huge um, or a lot of big third-party releases that maybe you didn't even recognize would be on there. Like, honestly, would you be surprised if they, you know, uh, you know, I was going to say Ghostwire Tokyo, but I doubt that, you know, Microsoft now owns that unless that deal was put in place a while ago. I don't see them doing something like that or striking a new deal. But yeah, I think that's really what's going to happen at this moment. I, you know, I wouldn't be so quick to just dismiss Spartacus. Like, I still think that this three-tier system is really messy. I hope that it's something like a two-tier system. I think three tiers is too much. But uh, I wouldn't go as far as to say, okay, it's, if Spartacus is at day and date, it's not going to be as good as Game Pass. I think people need to realize that uh, PlayStation is very different from Xbox. And I don't think that they're looking for a Game Pass competitor. I think they're looking internally and looking at PlayStation Plus, PlayStation Now, and saying, how can we have a better subscription service? I don't think people at PlayStation are saying, how can we compete with Game Pass? Um, and I think that's really what their, their state of mind is. And before we go, I wanted to talk about GTA Plus. So Rockstar Games announced GTA Plus, a new paid monthly subscription service launching March 28th for Grand Theft Auto Online, only accessible to PS5 and Xbox Series X and S players. Players who sign up for it get monthly deposits of cash, exclusive access to new rewards, double and triple XP events, and more. It includes a monthly deposit of $500,000, which normally would cost um, players $10. So that's sort of the uh, currency equivalent uh, when it comes to that exchange. Now, it's obviously not just that $500. There was a list of a bunch of other stuff that was on there, like exclusive cars. I think access to like an auto shop or something like that. Um, I went to the Grand Theft Auto online subreddit and they, <laughs> it was just 
getting completely um, trashed. But I think it's also interesting because a lot of these, you know, add-on services that are being added to these games, whether it's microtransactions, whether it's uh, a service like this, which will, I, I just noticed I didn't put the price here, it is going to be $5.99 a month. So as I said, it includes a monthly deposit of $500,000 plus a bunch of other stuff in it. So if you are a person that regularly spends real world money on Grand Theft Auto, this sort of instantly does make sense for you to get. But apparently a lot of people who play the game enough, they feel like they've sort of generated enough revenue where they kind of don't need this. But so so there's, there's a couple of things to break down from this announcement. Um, number one is the fact that Grand Theft Auto Online is not free. You know, um, at one point, Grand Theft Auto Online, when GTA first released was like t t over 10 years ago, something like that. It was sort of looked at as included in the price of, of, of entry. The game was, I'm going to assume it was 49 when it first came out. It was either 50 or 60. And then I think like a month, two months after GTA Online was released. So you always looked at the multiplayer as part of the entire package. But as of right now, if you are a consumer, you can buy Grand Theft Auto Online separately. If you're on PlayStation 5, you can get it for the first three months for free. But on Xbox, you can just pay the outright $10. You don't have to buy the full game anymore. They, they completely separated those two experiences, similar to what they did with Red Dead. Red Dead Online is also something you buy separately. Now, this is something that... Now, I've spoken about this multiple times on Camp Koji throughout the years about the need for companies to separate single player from multiplayer. You know, I'm not uh, some, you know, psychic for predicting this. It, it's just really common sense at this point um, when it comes to revenue models across video games. And the interesting thing about this is that well, one reason why people are upset is that Rockstar is now charging um, specifically for this new version of Grand Theft Auto Online, which I've said in the past, it, it, it should just be free to play. It, this is kind of one of those moments where Grand Theft Auto doesn't need this money. This is like a pure capitalistic decision where the executives at Take-Two feel like Grand Theft Auto Online is a, such a huge state. It's this moment in multiplayer where they feel like people can't miss out. Like you, it, it's like a must play experience where they feel confident that people will just fork over the $10 rather than giving it away for free. So take two looks at it as I'm leaving a lot of money on the table by not charging for something like this. And that's really the reason why they are doing it. Um, and obviously separate from that, now they're including this, you know, monthly charge. And I think a lot of fans that I noticed on the subreddit sort of look at it as greedy, the greedier get greedy, you know, milking the cow. Um, but I look at it from uh, multiple perspectives. Not, not only do they look at it as like greed, but 
these fans that have been playing TT online for such a long time also look at it as like dumb. Like, oh, this why would I even do this? I have, you know, a billion dollars in the bank on my game, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the issue is that that is going to change it at, at, at some point that's, that, that's going to inevitably, uh, inevitably change. Because Rockstar with Grand Theft Auto has built this model where it's very similar to the Fortnite model where they want to make sure that you are always consistently coming back to the service. It's, it's why I always compare these to, to Netflix. One of the reasons why people come back to Netflix every week is because there's like this upcoming section and every single week it feels like, you know, dozens of new TV shows and films are being added into the service. That's what Grand Theft Auto wants. They're competing for your time right alongside things like Disney Plus, HBO. They want it so that every week or at the very minimum, every single month you're coming back and you're experiencing something new, whether it's new missions, uh, new weapons, new uh, cosmetics, new cars, new apartments, new mechanics, whatever, the casino, all this crazy stuff that they have put into the game. There's just no, there's no way in hell that this new GTA Plus is going to remain stagnant. They're going to use analytics. They're going to look into it. They're going to look at all this data that they've compiled over the last few years, figure out what's the most enticing thing that, um, uh, you know, people consistently continue to come back for, whether it's new cars, new weapons, and that's not going to be locked behind this GTA plus and it's it's going to feel small at first but I guarantee you as time goes on this is going to be a new model that take two is going to look forward to and at the end of the day they're going to do their damnedest to get you to um, get into it for one month and continue to entice you to continue paying that five ninety nine per month because the hardest part is getting someone into a subscription service. The easiest part is actually keeping them there, right? So inevitably they're going to start paywalling content that used to be something that you would regularly accept. There will always be these two streams, right? There will be these streams of microtransaction, something that's, you know, just free, uh, free activities to get you to come right back into the game. And then they're going to start paywalling. A l the coolest shit is going to start getting paywalled behind this GTA plus. And you can complain as much as you want, but I'm, you know, take two is just not going to listen. I mean, this path that we're on with rockstar games has become increasingly inevitable to the point that, I, I don't see the purpose of sitting down and, and pointing out that Rockstar and Take-Two are, are, are greedy. You know, the way that I like to look at these types of markets and monetization practices, and I've brought this up multiple times before, is that it begins with the end user. If you create a product to sell, you do it with the expectation that on the other end of that creation will be a buyer. And at the end of the day, if you have to continually ask yourself, why is it that we are still talking about Grand Theft Auto V? Why hasn't there been 
any expansions? Why hasn't there been a Grand Theft Auto 6? Um, it's because it's never slowed down sales-wise. There's literally no reason for me to create a new product. The same thing comes with this GTA Plus. These types of uh, creations are not done on a whim. You know, No one sits around and says, hey, let's test a monthly paid subscription service. We're talking about years of data that's been accumulated from multiple platforms from multiple generations where now take two feels confident in the amount of data that they've been able to put together that this will be an absolute success. They wouldn't introduce it if they didn't believe it will be successful. So it's always weird because on the surface, when you look at social media, you look at Reddit's, uh, it seems like this overwhelming negativity, but I guarantee you this will be an absolute success for uh, for Rockstar Games. And at this point, you just kind of, you almost have to put yourself in the same position that I put myself personally, which is like, you kind of have to just kind of have to let it go. You know, at some point I was upset at Rockstar, which is like, man, this was this company that I absolutely loved. And, you know, I, I mean, Red Dead Redemption 2 is just one of the greatest games of all time in my book. And I still sometimes try to go back and play it because it's just such an amazing experience. For me, I've learned to just sort of separate those, those two things, you know, until the moment that Rockstar has shown to me that when they're ready to go back to single player content, unless that has been affected by everything that has been happening, I have no reason to doubt that Grand Theft Auto 6 is going to be a full-fledged, amazing, single-player narrative experience. I have to believe that that part of Rockstar still exists because it existed when they re released Red Dead Redemption 2. The one thing that everything that's been happening right now with Grand Theft Auto Online, the only thing that that has changed is that, is that it proved to take two that they can separate these two experiences to the point that I feel that when Grand Theft Auto 6 comes out, there is not going to be a GTA 6 online. There is just going to be GTA online. I don't expect GTA online to go through a drastic um, update at this moment in time because right now you still want those legacy players. You still want that legacy compatibility at this point. But in a few years, there probably will be an update a decade from now. And it might be only something for PS5, X, and PC players to partake in. But I have no reason to doubt that Grand Theft Auto 6, with all of this time and all of this money that they've been able to pour into it, that it's not going to be its own experience separate from the multiplayer. So to me, I'm going to be honest, it's very, on, on one hand, it's like a little bit upsetting because. The funniest thing about GTA Plus, even just the name, is it's something I brought up uh, not too long ago when I was talking about the GTA trilogy and the fact that you know there was a little bit of censorship in it, where I said that the old Rockstar, this was a parody. This was something that they would have made fun of other companies for. At, at one point in time, that was the Rockstar that we had, you know, they they you know, when you think about Grand Theft Auto 4 and you think about, excuse me, 5, and you think about that, uh, that, that, that mission where you, you're, you're going, you're breaking into like this social media company and you, you just look at the absolute parody and hilarity 
of them holding up that mirror to Silicon Valley. And um, and then you look at this GTA Plus thing, and, and you think about I threw and, and just all these different parodies and, and satire that Rockstar has been able to create. And then you look at GTA Plus, it's like, you know, it's a realization that it's just not the same Rockstar anymore. And, and you guys just kind of have to just let it go because the 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 thing that people need to realize about this word this this word of of uh of of greed is that especially i mean just talking about this context of companies creating these types of revenue streams you need to understand that a buyer must exist on the other end of it and the reason why these things keep keep happening the reason why rockstar feels confident about charging 599 the reason why they felt confident outsourcing that trilogy definitive edition and and releasing a complete shit version is because they sold millions at launch it's the same thing with this GTA plus it's it's i don't like to categorize it as as greed more so than 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 meeting a customer in the middle because all they're doing is supplying a demand for this for this type of subscription and like i said this isn't something that they're just going to throw and see if it sticks and then six months from now shut it down you know they have enough analytics in place to understand that this will be a success and if the numbers start to dip a little bit they just have to adjust it they have to bolster it a little bit more they have to add more to that uh, subscription they have to add more value to it um and they're not the first, you know, Rockstar is not the first to do something like this. Fortnite even has something similar with it. Fortnite Squad or something like that. It's called it's like a, a monthly service. They're not the first. And I mean, to be honest, they're not going to be the last, you know, subscription service is just sort of the wave right now. And uh, I feel like it is inevitable that other companies are going to you know, consider doing something that's very similar to something like this. Um, I doubt that they'll be as successful as Rockstar. I mean, we've seen how much money they've been able to pull in. But, you know, at this point, I feel like there's just really no reason uh, to be upset at Rockstar. The, on the only thing that I would be upset about with Rockstar is if Grand Theft Auto 6 is stripped. You know, but I have hope i guess I, I feel like it's only hope at this point that they won't give a half-assed experience i do think that take two should at this moment understand the value of legacy single-player content and the amount of money that that standalone experience can generate and completely separating it from a multiplayer component. Both of those things can be true at the same time. And a, a game like Red Dead Redemption 2 was absolute proof of it. This week's hot releases, tomorrow, March 29th, we have Ikai, PC, PS4, PS5, Switch, Crusader Kings 3, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and I believe it's also coming to Game Pass. March 30th, Death Stranding Director's Cut comes to PC. March 31st, Weird West PC, PS4, Xbox One. That's also coming to Game Pass. And then Moss Book 2 is coming to PS4. I believe that's a VR game. 
Time to wrap it up. The stories we didn't have time to get to. Rocksteady Suicide Squad has been delayed to spring 2023. Really no surprise there. I definitely did not expect this game to come out this year, especially since they really weren't showing too much of it. Also, when you think about Gotham Knights getting a, a what appears to be a pretty solid date of October and Hogwarts Legacy um, maybe being released holiday 2022. The game looks pretty good since the last time we saw it. It just wouldn't make any sense for these uh, for this game to come out. But I also wouldn't uh, be surprised if Hogwarts slips to, you know, February 2023 or something like that. CD Projekt Red confirmed the development of a brand new Witcher game running on Unreal Engine 5 rather than the studio's own Red Engine. Uh, this sort of makes sense for a lot of different reasons. One th thing we know about Red Engine is their developers have been very open about talking about the fact that every time they make a game, that engine almost has to be rebuilt. Uh, obviously, we saw what happened with Cyberpunk 2077. Uh, and then the other reason why this makes a lot of sense is, once again, the competitive landscape of development right now means... Uh, it's a lot easier to recruit if you're running this game on Unreal Engine. And that's obviously why one of the reasons why this announcement was made is in order to recruit talent. And it's a lot easier if your game is running on Unreal Engine. One interesting part of this announcement that I wanted to bring up was veteran Witcher designer Jason Slama's promise. He tweeted, quote, I'm super thrilled to announce that I've humbly been working to ensure the success of the next big AAA, The Witcher game, as his game director. Thank you could join the team. We have tons of roles open with the possibility of remote work we could discuss. Someone then quote tweeted him and said he left out the part about quote, horrible crunch and being treated like a dog. Slama responded, quote, end quote, not on my watch, which is there's absolutely zero reason to ever believe this game director. For those that forget, not even the company's founders could keep that promise of no crunch. They said Cyberpunk will have no crunch. Uh, we now know the absolute truth is that there was definitely a lot of crunch. Uh, don't make promises you can't keep. There's no way I can ever believe this game will be completed without crunch, especially after what happened with Cyberpunk 2077. Uh, and um, please don't pre-order this game. And finally, Netflix has acquired its third game development studio, Boss Fight, entertainment this is i believe their third acquisition in about uh a span of like four to six months i think it's been i stick by what i said when i first talked about this on cap koji this makes zero i mean zero sense for netflix it thinks this is successful obviously netflix has been you know uh, lost a lot of its streaming share to disney plus hbo max and all these other um you know things that continue to pop up but instead of putting that money back into what matters they think that they can entice new subscribers by creating netflix video games it just makes absolutely uh, zero sense if i was them honestly you know what i'd do i would take that money and i would go to some of the biggest creators uh, that have the most attention even more attention than netflix you know someone like a mr beast or a youtuber or a twitch uh, creator, I would kind of go to them with a check and say, how would you like to do a show on Netflix? That would have a way bigger positive on subscriber numbers than mobile Netflix games or whatever garbage they're going to put together. Game development is tough. To strike that lightning to get to entice people to come and play your game is going to be difficult. And even if you come up with some sort of amazing experience that somehow catches fire uh, across you know the gaming discussion 
people are going to pay for the subscription, play your game, and probably leave because they're supposed to be there to watch shows, not play games. It makes no sense. Shout out once again this week goes to Epic Games. As of March 25th, they have raised $70 million for Ukraine with a week left in their donation campaign. For those that forgot, they began this campaign where for, I think it was like three weeks straight, all revenue um, from Fortnite, all revenue generated would go to Ukraine. And I believe uh, Xbox is also joining in. Uh, their revenue raised from Fortnite is also going towards Ukraine. So I guess a shout out goes to Epic Games and Xbox. Um, as I said, as of March 25th, they raised $70 million. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining me. Please follow us on Twitter and YouTube at Camp Koji for future updates. Once again, I am Joel, and I will see you all next week.